Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Will Johnson. The show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. It was cowardly. It was inconsiderate. It was like a robbery. There seemingly were either multiple serial killers or there was one incredibly aggressive, terrifying serial killer. Are you are you kidding me that you don't test DNA against him? Like, he's a serial killer. Uh, talk to me just about Julie and what kind of an amazing woman she was. Well, that is the hardest question. Decades after the death of his daughter, Julie, Tom Williams shared some of his memories of her with WSA reporter Bruce Lashan last year. Um... Julie was a, a smart young woman. She was uh, very uh, eager to learn. Uh, I think she drove her teachers crazy with the questions she, she'd asked. And uh, I think they thought that sometimes were, she was picking on them some way. In any event, uh, she was uh, very eager to learn. Uh, she was tenacious. Tenacious, caring. Those are some of the attributes William says made Julie who she was. You think about her every day. Every day. Yeah. Impossible not to. Many of the good memories are still sharp, like Easter of 1996. I met her down in uh, in Florida. It must have been, yeah, in fact, it was uh, Easter break. And... Uh, she and I and uh, Julie's sister uh, met down in Florida and uh, spent some time on Sanibel Island and uh, just a few days. And, uh, and then uh, we drove up to Tampa and Julie flew home and, and uh, I came back to Minnesota. So that was uh, April and within 60 days she was dead. As spring turned to summer in 1996, 24-year-old Julie Williams and her partner, 26-year-old Lolly Winans, decided to take a trip out to Shenandoah National Park in Virginia, described by the National Park Service as a land bursting with cascading waterfalls, spectacular vistas, fields of flowers, and quiet wooded hollows. Julie and Lolly were partners who kind of had a wanderlust. WSA reporter Bruce Lashan has covered the case over the years. And they loved to spend time out in the woods like so many people do. And they would camp and hike long term, uh, including in Shenandoah National Park, which is just a beautiful 
serene, calming place where millions of people go every year to take in nature. The couple hiked into the park on May 19th, joined by Lolly's golden retriever, Taj. They were camping there near a creek, not far from Skyland Lodge, where, again, a lot of people go. The three of them, Julie, Lolly, and the dog Taj, were all seen hiking together in the park on the 24th. But then, days later, Taj was seen wandering the trails on his own. And on June 1st, investigators would discover the bodies of Julie and Lolly, their throats slashed. It was several days after they were killed that a hiker found their bodies. Um, They were near their campsite. One was in her tent. The other had been dragged out of her tent. Uh, They'd both been uh, brutalized. Uh, They were bound. There were hairs uh, in the tape, in the the, uh, tape that was used to bind their bodies. You can imagine uh, there was a massive police response. The area is about uh, 250 yards off Skyline Drive, uh, down a steep hill. And uh, there was little evidence uh, that could pinpoint their killer. How, how angry, or what is your emotion when it comes to whoever did this? Is it anger, sadness, forgiveness? Where are you? Well, I guess uh, I would say more fairness. I think the the whoever committed the the murders, uh, you know, once found, and certainly I would hope that they would be found. Uh, and that they would uh, pay whatever price it is in the context of uh, uh, justice is justice. The families of both young women were left not knowing who did this, who took Julie and Lolly away from them. But investigators would soon have a suspect. A year after Julie and Lolly's bodies were discovered, police would arrest a man named Daryl Rice for attempting to abduct another woman a bicyclist near Skyline Drive in Shenandoah National Park. So they they, they settled on Daryl Rice because he had attacked another woman in the park. He had uh, uh, driven at her in his vehicle, and she had fled in her bike. Uh, she tried to get away from him. She put a tree between her and him. He uh, appeared to be trying to grab her and throw her into the vehicle. And police ended up uh, rangers arresting him, charging with that crime, charging him with the crime of attempt, attempted abduction of this woman, and he was convicted of that. And so, because of Daryl Rice's behavior, he looked to authorities like the kind of guy who might have uh, attacked Julie and Lolly and murdered them too. Adding to those suspicions. Authorities believe Rice was in the park the day Julie and Lolly were killed. So he was in the park at that time, but syncing that up with the actual time of death of Julie and Lolly has been a major point of disagreement between Daryl Rice's lawyers and the prosecutors. Daryl Rice's lawyers say that if you pinpoint the time of death, 
Daryl was not in the park at that time. Five years after Daryl Rice was arrested for the attempted abduction, a grand jury indicted him in the murders of Julie Williams and Lolly Winans. Authorities believed that they had enough evidence against Daryl Rice that they ended up charging him with these two murders. And the attorney general, John Ashcroft, announced uh, at a news conference that the federal authorities would seek the death penalty against Daryl Rice. They believed their case was good enough, strong enough to convict uh, Daryl Rice and sentence him to death. But that case, one they were hoping they could build around DNA evidence and hair samples found at the scene, it started to fall apart. So there's an issue with hair analysis. And, you know, it is only so specific. It's not as good as DNA. Uh, And prosecutors, to some extent, were trying to pin their case on these heirs that were found at the murder scene. And so they went back and back over them. They asked the labs to uh, analyze the hairs over and over again. And in the end, it turned out that those hairs did not match Daryl Rice. They were belonging to another person. And the evidence at the scene indicated that there was somebody else who was involved and that Daryl Rice was not the right guy. It ended up that the prosecutors, the U.S. attorneys, after making this massive case and appealing for the death penalty, ended up having to drop the case against Daryl Rice because as they analyzed further, the evidence the hairs, the fibers, the DNA, according to the analysis that they could do at the time, did not match Daryl Rice. Federal prosecutors dropped the murder charges against Daryl Rice in 2004. And in some ways, eight years after Julie and Lolly were killed, the investigation was back to square one. The, um, the FBI is the lead agency on this kind of thing. Park rangers obviously have some law enforcement authorities and Uh, Local authorities could also uh, assist them, but it's really the Justice Department, the FBI, that uh, carries the lead when there's a murder in a national park. On June 1st of 2021, 25 years to the day since Julie and Lolly's bodies were discovered, the FBI put out a renewed call for information. Their press release stated, The beauty of Virginia's parks and trails are enticing to people, not just from Virginia, but other states. And during these outdoor adventures, people come across other hikers and visitors, some who make a memorable impression. Over the past 25 years, we are cognizant that those who were hiking in the park at the time of the murders, were visiting local establishments, and even resided in the area, may not be local to Virginia any longer. Therefore, it is crucial that this case continues to be shared throughout the country. It's possible there are people anywhere from Virginia to the West Coast that could have information valuable to investigators. Over the years, some have suggested Julie and Lolly's case could be connected to other crimes that occurred around the same time in Virginia. This era in Virginia was a really scary time for women and girls because there seemingly were either multiple serial killers out there abducting women and girls, or there was one 
incredibly aggressive, terrifying serial killer out abducting women and girls from all over Virginia. The same month Julie and Lolly were killed, another body was discovered nearby in a field off Route 29 in Madison County, Virginia. The body of Alicia Showalter Reynolds. Is there something that you you think about that, that about her that gives you comfort? Ooh, something that gives me comfort. Well, for the lovely person that she was, um, I guess the comfort that I have is that um, she is no longer suffering. Number one, number two, hopefully the method of uh, putting her away was not significantly painful for her. It's been painful for us because we don't know. And that's, that's the hard part. Like Julie and Lolly, Alicia was in her mid-20s, just 25 years old when she was killed. She was a graduate student at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, according to her parents, Sadie and Harley Showalter. She was small in stature and everything, but she was very elegant. And she always had this really lovely smile and lovely giggle that people remembered and would talk about. And um, she was, and this one person said when she met her at, um, in grad school, I guess it was, um, the girl that met her was always felt like she was a bumbling kind of person. And here was Alicia that was very calm and, and, and uh, composed and had a beautiful smile for her and welcomed her. And, and I also know that when she was working at the lab with Dr. Strand, if there was anything that was wrong in the, any issues in the lab with, between personalities, they would always come to Alicia and she would help straighten it out. I mean, that's the kind of person she was. Yeah, just lovely. When her body was found in May of 1996, Alicia had been missing for two months. She'd been driving down to Charlottesville, Virginia from graduate school in Baltimore when state police suspect her killer flagged her down with a ruse, telling her there were sparks flying under her car. Authorities believe that Alicia Showalter Reynolds' killer was a guy who used this ruse to get her to pull over, got her into his car, attacked her, and murdered her. And Sadie and Harley Showalter have been looking for answers in their daughter's death now for decades. It was cowardly. It was inconsiderate. It was like a robbery. Uh, it was taking something away from a person who had a lot of promise. Um, it's just a, a sad thing about the human condition that somebody saw fit to put her away. At least 20 other women came forward to describe a white guy about six feet tall who they say tried the same trick on them. But Alicia's killer, known as the Route 29 stalker, has never been identified. Though in court documents, prosecutors have suggested Daryl Rice, the man once charged with the murders of Julie Williams and Lolly Winans, might have been responsible for this crime. Investigators suggested that Daryl Rice might also be the Route 29 stalker and that he too might have killed 
in addition to Julie and Lolly that he might have killed Alicia Showalter Reynolds. But Sadie and Harley Showalter have their doubts about that theory. Do you think Daryl Rice killed Alicia? It is hard for me, knowing some of the uh, investigation that has been done and uh, some of the other things that I'm aware of, it's difficult for me to think that it's Daryl David Rice. Um, I know there are people that still think that, um, but I, I don't. And the creek is right next to See this creek down here? Um, it, it's much, it's closer to the... What, are you, are you, does this look familiar to oh, you? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Last year, Bruce Lashan went out to Shenandoah National Park, joined by someone who has another theory as to who might have killed Julie, Lolly, Alicia, and others. You're saying there's seven murders? Yes, in central Virginia between 96 and 97. So and one of them we're is talking Todd Lolly and Julie. Alicia. We're Alicia. Anne McDaniel, uh, the Lisk sisters, uh, Sophia Silva, and some people say Thelma Scroggins or not. Deirdre Enright is the founder and director of the Innocence Project at the University of Virginia School of Law. And she's represented Daryl Rice, the man once accused of Julie and Lolly's murders. Not only does she believe Rice did not kill Julie and Lolly, but she's offered an alternative suspect. Richard Ivonitz, a man police say murdered three girls, 12-year-old Katie Lisk, 15-year-old Kristen Lisk, and 16-year-old Sophia Silva in Spotsylvania County, Virginia in 1996, the same year Julie and Lolly were killed. Police say he abducted the Lisk sisters off their porch after school, murdered them, and then dumped their bodies in the South Anna River. Ivonitz died by suicide in Florida as investigators were closing in after police say another teen he abducted in South Carolina escaped and alerted authorities. Enright believes DNA evidence from the Shenandoah crime scene could be a match for Ivonitz, if it were retested. I mean, to me, as a layperson, it sounds very different to abduct young girls off their porches after school Mm -hmm. than to attack two women in a park. Mm -hmm. And... That, but, the, but if you have an active serial killer in the area at the time, are you, are you kidding me that you don't test DNA against him? Like, he's a serial killer. Like, why not test it? Why not test it? You would test, anyone would test it. Daryl Rice's lawyers first pointed to Ivonitz as Julie and Lolly's potential killer decades ago. Shortly before they dropped the charges against Rice, prosecutors called that argument specious, unsupported by evidence. Enright insists otherwise and suggests her former client was simply too disorganized to plot and carry out the murders. The person who could control two women and a dog was someone who knows what they're doing. And Daryl Rice is, you know, pretty much a hot mess. She cites his conviction for that attempted abduction. I mean, he wasn't able to get a woman off a bike and she threw a soda at him, you know, like... How how did that person two years before, year and a half before, accomplish this and then become that guy? And again, the charges against Daryl Rice were dropped after it was determined he was not a match for the DNA evidence at the crime scene. There's male DNA on the gag in Julie's mouth. There's hairs under the duct tape 
um, which they said in the beginning before there was a Daryl Rice, whoever, whoever's hair that is, is the perp because it's not Julie's and it's not Lolly's. Mm -hmm. um, so they were saying that hair. Later, that hair matched hairs that were found inside the gloves that they said were not Julie's or Lolly's. So now we have the same person being the hair under the duct tape and the hair in the gloves that were left at the crime scene and they weren't Daryl Rice's. And so no fingerprint was Daryl Rice's. No, never found a weapon. There's no, there's no evidence against him. And Richard Markovanitz killed people. He told his sister right before he killed himself, I killed more people than I can remember. That's not three. Setting aside the DNA, Enright says there are other details that could potentially point to Richard Ivanitz as the real killer. At the time that this occurred, his grandmother, who did a lot of, for raising him, was dying in a hospital nearby. And his family was gathering to say goodbye to her. And his wife and his family say he disappeared for two days at the time when we think these murders happened. Um, he also had fantasies about two women. And we know that from his wives. And we know that from his pornography. And we know that from what people, his friends were interviewed. Um, he told his friends that he admired Ted Bundy. And mostly he admired him because he would do his murders differently in different areas and in different jurisdictions. And he actually said, because they all are territorial about their cases and they don't want to share information. So they won't link them, which of course is what has happened here. No one wants to admit that it might be, you know. And so he's also, um, he's a serial killer. <laughs> so, you know, and he, his wife told him no, he told his wife that he, she should never come up into Shenandoah National Park alone because there's bad people up here. Um, and, but he liked to come himself. So I just think that um, if at the very least, he's worth looking at forensically. You raised this issue of Epon. It's early on in the case. Mm -hmm. And the prosecutor said it was specious, that you were just wrong, that mm -hmm. it was absurd. Mm -hmm. Well, if that was true, you would think they would test the evidence and prove me wrong. Harley and Sadie Showalter say they've asked investigators if they've looked into Ivanitz in connection to Alicia's case. I know when I talk to the investigators about that possibility, they want to say, but his mode of operandus was different because it was with young girls, the Lisk girls and, and the Silver girl. Well... If he's smart, he can change his mode of operations, okay? At least he was a young girl. She was, I mean, a young woman. She was small. She was uh, tiny from that standpoint. So she could fit that description. And knowing that he abducted other women just makes you think, why couldn't? And he was familiar with that area. He lived in that area and worked in that area. So why couldn't that be part of it? Sadie Showalter says she talked to the FBI not long ago and said, please, you know, test this DNA again. Maybe it's somebody else. And she says that they blew her off. Tom Williams, Julie's father, rejects the suggestion that Ivanitz could be his daughter's real killer, even going so far as to call it a ruse when he spoke with Bruce Lashan. I have enough confidence, and I really do have enough confidence in the FBI. I have confidence that they know every place that Ivanis was. I think there were enough people involved in that. They were chasing him to where South Carolina or someplace. I mean, they knew him. They tracked everything down. They knew his 
his background to, to think that they missed something. Well, they maybe missed something. I, I can't say they couldn't have missed something, I suppose. But I feel sure that they were very thorough. Why wouldn't they be? Why wouldn't they be? Whoever really committed these crimes, all of the families involved have been left without solid answers. Anybody that would, had, thinking back to uh, you know the period of Labor Day of 1996, uh, where people were, if they saw anything that was near the park or whether they heard anything uh, near the park, whether he had any acquaintances, whoever the murderer is, any acquaintances or anything odd, uh, to certainly get in touch with the appropriate authorities. And uh, to, to just uh, something insignificant could be very worthwhile to them. And I think uh, hopefully maybe there's a relationship with somebody that knows somebody, the murderer, uh, that would have something that would uh, ultimately lo- lead to a conviction. We certainly would plead with anybody to come forward and just help. Even if any suspect or anybody that can be identified, even if they're no longer with us, it helps close the chapter. You would just like to know, you know, even though it doesn't bring her back, it it puts a period at a at the investigation and lets lets us know what really happened. I mean, it just seems so clear that The women and girls and their families, the women and girls who were attacked, they deserve some answers. They need some definitive answers. And it's just bizarre to me that after all these decades, we can't say who killed these women. For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson, here with Reed Redman. Reed, I want to chat with you about these cases. There's a lot going on in this episode. To start off, can you give us a quick timeline of what we know in these different cases? Yeah, I know it's a lot of dates and names to keep straight, but here's what I have in front of me. In March of 1996, Alicia Showalter Reynolds went missing. Then in May of 1996, her body was discovered. It was just a few weeks later, the bodies of Julie and Lolly were discovered in Shenandoah National Park. Uh, That was on June 1st. And then in September of 1996 is when police say Richard Ivonitz abducted and killed 16-year-old Sophia Silva. The following May, May of 1997, they say that he abducted and killed the Lisk sisters, Kristen and Katie Lisk. And then it's in July of 1997, Daryl Rice was arrested for that attempted abduction case, which he was ultimately convicted of. Then he was indicted for Julian Lawley's murders in April of 2002. And then it's actually in June of that same year in 2002 that Richard Ivonitz died by suicide after police said another victim of his escaped and then they had him surrounded. And then in 2004, finally, the case against Daryl Rice was dropped. Let me dig in a little bit more here. We, we heard from Deirdre Inright, the Innocence Project director, who's fully convinced that Daryl Rice could not be the person who killed Julie Williams, Lolly Winans, or Alicia Showalter Reynolds. What exactly is her background with this case? And beyond what we've heard, why is she so convinced that investigators need to retest some of the evidence? Yeah, and Wright actually wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post talking more about this case, explaining that she was part of the team of lawyers who initially defended Rice 
But then after that, she continued to defend him pro bono when his name came up in connection with the Route 29 stalking case. So, you know, what we're hearing from her in this episode, it's not just a defense attorney coming out and doing her job saying her client is innocent. She truly believes that he did not do this. And what she said in that op-ed and also what she told Bruce Lashan last year, the main reason that she wants this evidence, these hairs from the Shenandoah case retested, is that we have tools now that we didn't have 15, 20 years ago. And what she says in that op-ed is that, according to the government, DNA testing at the time was inconclusive as to whether the hairs could be a match for Richard Ivonitz, but that she's been assured by several labs that some of the newer testing methods could give conclusive results, could tell us whether it is or is not a match. So following that timeline you laid out, when we tie in the unsolved killing of Alicia Showalter Reynolds, as well as the three murders police say Ivonitz is definitely responsible for, we're sort of left asking, are these really separate cases or could one killer be responsible for all of them? Right. And Deirdre Enright also wants evidence from the Alicia Showalter Reynolds case retested. Uh, she says there's there's evidence in that case that's never been compared to Ivonitz's DNA. And she's made the same argument for there's yet another unsolved murder from that time period that, that she briefly mentioned in the episode, the murder of 20-year-old Ann McDaniel, who actually also went missing in 1996 in Culpeper County, Virginia, and whose body was then found four days after that, bound and burned and left in a remote area. And so to add another angle to the question that you raised, if it turns out that Ivonitz is not the perpetrator in any of these cases, you know, could they still be connected? Could there have been two active serial killers in that area in the mid-90s? I mean, it does seem unlikely, but that's, you know, what is so frustrating about all these different cases is that we just don't know which of them are in fact connected or, or if they're connected, how exactly they might be connected. And Reed, as we learned, the FBI is the main agency looking into these cases. What have they had to say about these requests for retesting of evidence? So WUSA did reach out to the FBI. They say they reached out repeatedly on this story, but they didn't hear back. So, you know, as far as I can tell, what we haven't seen in all of this is a full explanation from investigators as to why they don't believe Richard Ivonitz could be involved in these cases, if if that is in fact what they believe, beyond what we heard from prosecutors 20 years ago. Again, back then they said it was a specious argument that was not supported by any of the evidence. But, you know, the question is, is there something they've discovered that we don't know about that allows them to rule out Ivonitz as a suspect in these cases? And we heard Tom Williams at least suggest that, that he thinks they've done their due diligence on Ivonitz. And getting back to your question, what we have heard from the FBI in recent years is that they've put out those seeking information posters and that they're once again asking anyone with information to come forward. All right, Reed, thanks for bringing us these cases this week. And also, huge thanks to Bruce Lashan at WUSA 9 in Washington, D.C. for all of his help on this episode. And thanks to you for listening to True Crime Chronicles. If you haven't already, check out our daily podcast, The Daily Crime, new episodes Monday through Friday. For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson, along with Reed Redman. We'll be back next week with a new case and a new story. 